I started running towards the door as the uh, massive vaulted ceiling <laughs> fell directly behind me. I felt the wind and the dust rushed past me in a thick cloud. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today on another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. One of the best ways to learn anything is by experience. A better way, though, is to learn from others' experiences. That's why we're talking with today's guest, to get some insight from someone who learned the hard way. Captain Jeremiah King has been with the Central Arizona Fire and Medical Authority for more than 20 years. But the story of this response takes place when he was about four years into his career. And as you'll hear, that career, not to mention his life, nearly came to an end one night on a structure fire in a large home. And Jeremiah King joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for the invitation and to come on and speak about a learning experience. I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's great to have you here. Today, we're going to learn about a significant event in your career that tell you something about firefighting. Yeah, that's that's correct. And and before I get into it, I want to I want to say that I've declined an invitation to another podcast because I'm not a subject matter expert on anything, and I I know there are a lot of knowledgeable more qualified firefighters out there that can speak on topics in fire service with more expertise and eloquence that I can. But you asked me to come on and speak about a lesson learned, and I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and career, so I feel a little more qualified to speak to that. And I really appreciate the idea of providing firefighters a way to share lessons learned that that has a reach that's beyond the walls of their department. I like to say that I I think I can learn from my own mistakes, but when it comes to when things go bad or even things that could have gone better, I would much rather learn vicariously through other people's experiences. So thank you for the opportunity to share, and I hope that my story helps another firefighter with situational awareness, managing similar risks, making better decisions, or just to offer anything that'll help them save lives and property and uh, go home at the end of the shift. That's the idea behind these episodes, to get people thinking about how to be safe while getting the job done. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. So, And and also, I listened to the episode with Casey Corrigan a couple of times. Right. That was episode number 315. I appreciated the opportunity to, to learn from her experience, and I was inspired by her vulnerability and transparency with the things that she spoke about. I'm not going to be as as brave as she was with my experience. It's nowhere near as personal as hers, but it is an experience that was formative in my career, not only from things that I learned on this call, but how influential it was on my mindset toward things like training, leadership, decision-making, risk, um, just to cite a few. So I'll, I'll I'll get into it. Okay, let's go. How far back was this incident? Yeah, this was this fire happened about 15, maybe 20 years ago. And I work for a fire district 
And at the time we had five or six stations. We have automatic aid with a local municipality department who has five stations. And I was working a shift for another firefighter. So I was working with his crew. The station that I was working at is a fire district station that's right in the middle of the city. And it's an odd situation due to historical and, and geographical circumstances. So the bulk of our calls were within the municipality. And that engine didn't run many calls for the actual fire district. They were running calls in the city. We have a very close auto aid working relationship with the city department. And uh, it was wintertime. Elevation in our area ranges from about 4,200 to 5,400 feet plus in some places in the area. So there was snow, freezing temperatures. It was nighttime after a steady shift and, and we had gone to bed already. The call came in after midnight, if I remember right, for a structure fire with reported smoke in the residence. It was in a subdivision that sits on the outer border of the city. Um, in an affluent area with large custom homes. Uh, the area does have fire hydrants, paved roads, things like that. There was a closer engine on the assignment. So uh, they arrived first. We ended up arriving second. The first in engine arrived, reported light smoke in a 3,500 plus or minus square foot single family wood frame. It had a slate roof with a steep pitch. I could tell that from the from the outside, just remembering back, uh, it was a huge vaulted ceiling. Uh, the house was split level in that it had a main floor with a set of stairs to the left that had a second level with two rooms attached to a walkway. Um, the fireplace was on that side of the main room, and it had tongue and groove that went up the wall and then throughout this 25-foot vaulted ceiling that was over about 50% of the home. The fire was in the wall by the fireplace and I believe it originated by the flu. There was some faulty parts that, you know, came into play later that uh, they, you know, found out that there was a problem with uh, that ended up causing the fire. First and company had completed a primary search and then they called us in to help access the fire. It had run up the wall behind the tongue and groove and was just kind of fingering through the insulation and and the material in the walls, was getting up into the trusses and just sort of creeping from truss bay to truss bay in that vaulted ceiling. Were you on an engine or a truck company on this run? We have ladder trucks in the area, but they're all cross-staffed. So a structure fire response would typically be three engines and a truck. The truck is going to be a preference of the company officer in that station to switch from an engine to a truck for whatever response. So if I'm remembering correctly, there was a truck on this response. Okay, but you weren't on the truck. Uh, no, I was I was on an engine. And, and typically we're staffed with three. We were staffed with three that night. One engine had come in, uh, you know, the the whole assignment was on scene. Um, you know, we were for, we were second. The first engine was in, in doing their thing. Um, the third engine had come in. I think they were assigned Rick. And then the, the truck 
was assigned to a hydrant on the street behind the residence. And I think their assignment was, you know, be ready to flow a master stream. So this resident sat in a cul-de-sac with the road into the subdivision that it was directly behind that property. So there was not another house behind them. So the truck had access to the the Charlie side from, from there. We were inside, so I was unaware that there was a stream that was being applied to light smoke that had found its way out the roof. You know, I think it was just well-established, creeping through trust bay to trust bay, like I said. And, you know, we started seeing smoke showing from from the roof. It was very light smoke, slow moving. And uh, I, I guess they started applying water to the roof. And this becomes important as time goes on. The approach on the inside was to locate the fire, access it with a chainsaw in order to extinguish. So they were cutting in through the tongue and groove in order to access and look for the fire. We were unaware as to how well the fire had established itself. It had made its way through all those trusses into the vaulted ceiling, as I said. And the fire had progressed to a point where we were unable to catch it before it had burned and weakened trusses enough to eventually cause a collapse. Fortunately, moments before the collapse, the incident commander had called for everybody to exit the structure. And to this day, I don't know what he saw or sensed that made him make that decision, but it definitely saved numerous firefighters' lives that night. So it may have been a combination of his experience and intuition. So he was, you know, certainly combining his experience with what he was seeing and hearing. And I'm sure because, you know, one of the lessons that I learned was I never got the opportunity to talk to him and learn why he made that call. You know, looking back, I, I wish that I had been able to have that conversation with him. I think I would today, but I was a young firefighter then and, and wasn't really thinking along those lines. So that's definitely one of the lessons that I learned. That's lesson one. So yeah, we were exiting the structure. Uh, we were still inside as it began to collapse. And I was in the back of the line of firefighters that was exiting the structure. I heard a loud pop, didn't know what it was. And then quickly it was followed by several more clear pops in you know, one right after another. So it was pop, pop, pop. And then the collapse happened. And we were at a point where we were exiting the structure and outside of that uh, area of the vaulted ceiling, sort of getting into the entryway of the house, which had lower ceilings. So I was very fortunate that we had made it to that point by the time that roof collapsed. Um, And I will never forget that sound and what it means i'll be back with more right after this you can't fight what you can't see hypersight is an affordable vehicle mounted thermal imager that sees through smoke and cuts through the chaos hypersight works in the same harsh environments you do hypersight sees through smoke to show the seat of the fire for a more targeted effective attack hypersight enables you to make immediate decisions that can make all the difference Go to hyper-site.com to learn more. That's H-Y-P-E-R-S-I-G-H-T.com. See through smoke with Hypersight by RPX Technologies. Sounds like you were just seconds away from not getting out. I started running towards the door as the uh, massive vaulted ceiling (laughs) fell directly behind me. I felt the wind and the dust rushed past me in a thick cloud. 
fortunately everyone got out without any injuries and you know one thing it did do was make the fire much easier to locate for extinguishment but uh it was just a very close call that incident commander's decision to pull us out was definitely the thing that saved our lives because inside the conditions were you know it was a very light smoke and everybody was trying to you know work through the problem uh, we're just having difficulty accessing that tall ceiling and we didn't know how well established it was or how much damage it had done to those truss bays or those trusses that were you know supporting all that weight what were your thoughts after you did get out did you know how close it was yeah i did i remember reflecting on it later and just telling somebody you know i i i was at the back of that line and when i heard that final crack and i had realized what it was i i was scared and i remember telling them you know i i think i might have saw my life flash before my eyes it was a very close call what was it like at the front door while you were trying to get out i remember i i think sort of uh you know, my, my memory might be playing tricks on me, but I, I like to tell people that I ran past everybody else because it scared me so bad. But, you know, I think everybody was hustling out of the house at that point. And, you know, like I said, fortunately, the, the ceiling had, had uh, dropped down to you know, normal heights for a, for a residence. And uh, we were all just making it into that area at that time. I, I, didn't you know i don't remember pushing anybody out of the way or or anything like that but i tell the story like i ran past everybody out else but uh that i don't think that's really truly the case uh just a little bit of exaggeration there but i was running i can tell you that much because i felt like it was right on my heels and i i did feel the push of the wind um from that collapse and and uh definitely experienced that dust cloud you know, surrounding me for a second and just my brain registering what it was and what had happened as, you know, I was already hustling because it was, you know, st really starting to come together in my head. Like, what is going on? This here? was the first time you experienced anything like this. Yeah. The first time I'd experienced anything like that, uh, been anywhere near a, a roof collapse at least, you know, certainly that close and, and definitely never been inside during one. It's definitely stuck with me. And, and like I said, it's been a formative experience in my career. The lesson I hear is that when the IC says get out, it's time to get out. No messing around. That is a big takeaway. Definitely, you know, a lot of us would have the tendency to want to say, and knowing, you know, I think we've got a good hold on it, you know, just give us another couple of minutes. And I think really what we need to do is, is have that, that trust, you know, from the exterior, they're seeing something else. And when they call everybody out, there's a reason for it. And if we get outside and, you know, we discover that the, you know, it's sort of a, you know, false alarm, then, you know, maybe we, we change and, and go back inside. But when the IC calls for everybody to get out, just start moving out because we couldn't see anything from the inside that would indicate that we needed to. And whatever it was that he was seeing or sensing on the exterior definitely saved lives. What else did you take from this? 
Well, one would be don't apply water to a roof. I think they were applying water from the exterior, from that Charlie side. I don't know. I mean, I assume it was to try to get some cooling and, and some water in there. Um, but roofs are made to shed water. It just tends to be a waste. And in this case, it added a a lot of extra weight because it was already a slate roof. So big slate tiles and freezing temperatures in a vaulted ceiling, you know, so, it, you know, it was engineered, obviously, but the it, it was just not engineered for that much weight. So, you know, I would say as a rule of thumb, we shouldn't be spraying water on a roof because they're made to shed water. But certainly in that case, take into account the weight of the roof already. We're spraying water up there, freezing temperatures. It's just going to add to it. We couldn't tell what was going on inside, you know, underneath the tongue and groove and how much damage had been done to those trusses. So it was very difficult. So I would just say that that would be something that we maybe hold off on. Another lesson that I learned that if you have a truck, then maybe a tactic to use would be to work off of the ladder or the platform to break those tiles away and try to make access into those truss bays and maybe apply water, you know, conservatively, uh, a hand line, um, you know, via hand line that, that maybe is extended up that ladder. But I don't think we need big water. I don't think we need to be applying just spraying water onto a, onto a roof without a real good precision and, um, again, just being conservative with the water. Another lesson I, I learned is that maybe we could have been more aggressive with removing the tongue and groove and applying water more generously from the inside. And maybe the pressure from the stream, uh, you know, might've gotten in there, you know, raised humidity, stopped forward progress, you know, things like that. It's, it's difficult to tell, but I think that it was one of the, you know, the, the mindset was, well, we can access this wall. And we had a ladder in there up against the wall and everything it was probably 20 foot wall. And we can access that, but we don't have access to these trusses just because it's out in the middle of this room and it's so tall. Maybe right off the bat, you know, we were supposed to get inside and, and, and search for people, but we also should be searching for that fire. And, and then, you know, locating it, confining it and extinguishing it is our ultimate goal, right? So Maybe just being a little bit more aggressive on that side of it, just getting in there and getting that tongue and groove removed right away. Maybe we would have been able to stop it. But again, I don't know how advanced that fire was, you know, up that wall and into the those trusses uh, by that point in time. But it had traveled quite a bit. You know, we were there for a while, uh, maybe an hour or longer by the time the IC was calling us out. And, uh, you know, we'd been working to try to access those spaces and just with the fact that it was tongue and groove and the height of that ceiling just made it very, very difficult. Another one thing that I think that I took away from is that we could have used personnel on the inside to be doing a, a little bit better job of salvage. So everything in that big room, we may have been able to move out into other rooms or maybe out into the the, the uh, front of the house or the garage or something along those lines just in order to get it out of that space because even if that roof hadn't collapsed we were still making a mess 
I know we moved stuff out of the way, but we could have done, you know, maybe assign more people to that and, and salvage that property a little bit better. You know, I think that may be a little bit nitpicky, but again, that's what we're there for to save lives and property. And that, and that's certainly part of it. Uh, I know that there's a lot of other lessons that I maybe I picked up in more of a subconscious way that has, has kind of stuck with me and carried through my career as I've advanced through my career and, and, and made it into the, the captain's seat. It has in, inspired me to, to want to know more than just the minimums that I'm given in my own, in my own training from my own fire department. And, you know, they can only provide so much. So it, it's inspired me to say, you know, look, we, we don't get a lot of fire. And so how can I supplement that? And I have to supplement that by, by seeking out training, by reading, listening to podcasts, learning from other people. So this experience really sort of fed into what it would eventually become, you know, my, my, my passion and interest for structure firefighting and, and the, uh, the life, you know, saving lives and, and that, and that side of the fire service, fire department. And uh, that's the expectation. All right, Captain Jeremiah King, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this experience shaped my career, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak about it. And I hope that uh, other firefighters are able to take away something from it and the lessons that I learned from it without after actually experiencing it themselves. And if you want to share your story of an incident that tell you about firefighting, I want to help you tell it. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.